I'm Rachel Perkins, and you're listening to the Nordic Nation podcast on Faster Skier. In this episode, we talk with two-time Olympian and licensed professional counselor Holly Brooks about strategies for coping with the anxiety and grief we might be feeling at this time. For more information about the services Holly provides through her private practice, you can contact her at holly at hollybrooks.com or find her on Facebook at hollybrooks LLC. You can also find the painted rocks mentioned in her journaling exercise and a list of additional emotions in the show notes at fasterskier.com. So I'm hoping we can kind of start with um, unpacking a little bit of like what people are feeling right now or might be feeling right now in terms of um, there's kind of so many different factors that are present right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, this is a time full of firsts. And if anyone out there is familiar with Brene Brown's work, she just coined this term FFT, which I really, I don't want to start off the day swearing and I, I won't on the, <laughs> on the, on the podcast, but I'll just say FFT stands for effing first time. And, uh, you know, right now the entire world is going through a lot of FFTs, right? Whether it's like online school or online work or just the collective grief and anxiety that we're feeling globally, um, this is this is a really really hard time for everyone. Yeah, um, you know I think like yeah, okay okay <laughs> yeah you know I I think what's really unique about this situation is that in um, you know other times of of hardship we've really gotten through it by coming together. Um, you know whether it was nine eleven or. You know, I'm thinking about most recently in Alaska, the earthquake that we had uh, a little over a year ago. You know, we we got through it by coming together and by helping one another. And so I think that's what's really unique and really difficult about this situation is that we we literally cannot come physically together. And I, I think that that's really hard. Human, humans are social beings, right? And we're, we're, we want to be together and, um, and we're, we're not allowed to right now. So I think that's really difficult. Yeah. Um, and something that you posted about was this idea of kind of like feel your feelings and acknowledge and name your grief. Yeah. And, um, how can we kind of understand or assess like where with so many variables, like where are some of our feelings coming from or maybe the ones that are kind of like most impacting us? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So it's so important for people to feel their feelings and actually name them. And I'm a big believer that we can't process something that we, we don't know. Um, and you know, often emotions are stored in our bodies. Uh, trauma is stored in, in our bodies. And so, you know, if we can start by naming our feelings, then we can create some understanding and process them. So it's really an, an, an exercise in self-awareness. And so actually on a, a normal basis in my office, I have these painted rocks and, all of the rocks have 
different emotions on them. And I usually start off every session with everyone, regardless you know, of their age or profession or whatever, with them picking out the rocks. Like, this is how I feel today. And it sounds really basic, but it's actually... It's, it's really powerful. And so now, you know, I'm completely telehealth and I have, you know, this long list of emotions and an exercise I've been doing with people is like, hey, let's look through this list. Let's pull out what you're feeling right now and then let's name it. So if you're angry, let's name the reasons why you're angry. You know, if you're frustrated, let's, let's talk about that. Um, you know, so it's the kind of this concept of name it to tame it. And then if you fully understand your feelings, <laughs> then it, it allows for you to actually feel your feelings and, and kind of release them. And it doesn't mean that they go away altogether, but they're, you can actually process them rather than, um, you know, have them kind of like hung up in, in your being, if that makes sense. Yeah. And do you have any ideas as, as far as somebody that might be trying to do this on their own like is there do you have any like um like is this a good like journal activity that somebody could maybe do first thing in the morning or like kind of ideas on where to start if you're if you're trying to accomplish this by yourself absolutely and I mean I can straight up send you like a big list of emotions right and you know you can even attach it to the podcast and and you know people can look through that list and and, you know, go through exactly what I, what I just described. Um, but I, I think it's really important that, that people do that. And, you know, I, in that post, um, I talked a little bit about releasing your energy and, you know, doing what I call a thought download or a free write. Um, you know, I think early morning journaling, you know, whether it's identifying with those emotions and, and feelings or, it's something entirely different. That's another way to get the thoughts and the energy out of out of our heads and onto paper or somewhere else. Because I think what happens is that we have these thoughts or this energy or these emotions stored in our head and they just spiral out of control and we ruminate, you know, either consciously or subconsciously. And we have to have some way to get them out of our head, out of our bodies and, and some, you know, onto paper or somewhere, somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and one thing that you shared that I think was really interesting was this um, Harvard Business Review article that was an interview with David Kessler, who yeah. is um, an expert on grief, is my understanding. And yeah. he was talking about this idea of an anticipatory grief, um, which I thought was was really interesting as far as sort of like um, we know that the world is changing because of this and we don't really know like what it's going to look like. And um, I think that idea of 9-11 was brought up, how kind of like going to the airport is now and forever will be different than it was before. Um, and there's sort of this loss of like our, what we're accustomed to and, and sort of the fear of what the aftermath is going to be. Yeah. Can you help yeah. unpack that a little bit? For sure, you know I think that we're we're all grieving um, the world as we knew it, and I think in that post I talked about how life is so much different than it was just two or three weeks ago. Um, you know, two like three weeks ago, maybe there you know this stuff was in the news, but um, for the most part, things felt normal. 
right? (laughs) Um, And so I think we're all grieving the life that we knew and the freedoms that we had. And, you know, I think just to backtrack a little bit, David Kessler and um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, well, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, you know, coined what's known as the five stages of grief. And in that article, I thought it was really appropriate. Um, You know, they talked about the denial, anger, bargaining, sadness, depression, and acceptance, and how a lot of people have gone through that. Like the denial was like, this isn't happening. It's not going to happen. Right. And then the anger is like, you're telling me to do what? (laughs) Distance? No. You know, and the bargaining is like, okay, if I do this for two weeks, you know, we can go back to normal. And then kind of the sadness sets in. And then the acceptance, like, okay, everyone's talking about what this new normal is. And then, you know, it leads to the anticipatory grief, right? People are thinking about, um, you know, the, the, what's the world going to look like, you know, a week from now, a month from now. And, you know, I have to say it was really eerie going through my calendar and physically like erasing all of my plans, you know, for, for the next little bit. It was so strange. Um, And so I think that, you know, in, in terms of naming what we're feeling, I think that we all need to name the collective grief but also the individual grief that we're, that we're feeling, you know, if you're grieving, you know, what specifically are are you grieving? Right. So name it, journal about it, do a thought download about it. Um, Let yourself feel that grief in order to move through it. It doesn't mean you're going to move beyond it, but I think it, you know, it can get slightly better. Yeah. Um, and you, you kind of address the, the fact that humans are kind of hardwired to be social, right? Like our, we're, we're accustomed to being social. Our world is super social and that's sort of just like rooted in this, like a a primal, you know, behavior. Um, and now we're kind of, it's, it's funny yesterday, um, I live on an empty boarding school campus, and oh. I was, which is actually really nice because we have all this space um, to be outside and and few people around. And uh, I was playing with my daughter on the tennis courts, and um, a friend of ours rode through with their toddler, who's like her her buddy, and we were chatting from you know six feet apart. And the in the two, it was just so funny because there's this like we were it was like we were inside a cage. <laughs> you know, with the, yeah. uh, the fence of the tennis courts. Yeah. Um, and it just sort of felt like it, like, you know, it was, it just felt sort of like symbolic, like we're it, this whole separation and, and distancing kind of thing. Um, and we're, we are, I feel like in, in, you are seeing things like Zoom and FaceTime and house party and all these different opportunities to connect virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, and, can you talk a little bit about like is that virtual connection as effective as when we're actually able to be social and together and and how do we make the most of it so that it is sort of you know sort of fulfilling that need for connection Yeah so I want to start by a reframe that I'm really trying to uh, push, I guess I'll say. Um, and that is, I hate the term social distancing. Mm. I really, really, really 
despise it. And, you know, I think that a lot of us see this situation through the lens in which we think or the lens in which we are trained. And, you know, of course, my lens is as a therapist and coach um, and, and a highly social person. You know, I think I've realized through this situation that I'm more of an extrovert than I thought. <laughs> and, you know, to me, the term social distancing is the exact opposite of what we should be doing right now. Um, because we really need each other and each other's support more than ever. And so I've been trying to use the term physical distancing because physical distancing is what is going to stop the transmission of the virus. The physical distancing is the six feet or, you know, transitioning everything to, to virtual interactions. And so I just want to throw that out there. Like, can we please stop using social distancing and replace that with physical distancing? <laughs> and, um, you know, I think that people are really coming up with unique ways to connect virtually. Um, you know, I've heard about people having virtual break rooms. And so, you know, rather than a meeting where everyone's like staring into the computer, just having... Uh, people's virtual presence around, you know, even if they're just moving around about the day. Um, but I'm also not going to lie that, uh, you know, I, I think that that virtual connection isn't as effective, or it doesn't it doesn't feel the same as as in person connection. And I think that that in person connection is something that that we're grieving. You know, humans have energy that's that's shared and transmitted, and it's just not quite the same. You know, coming through a computer screen, and um, you know, I'll just give the example. I I really wanted to connect with some friends last night, but they had spent all day on the computer in in meetings, and so while we all really needed that social connection, we were so screened out. <laughs> Um, you know, that it, that it just, it felt hard, hard to do that. Um, you know, I think one funny like meme or something that maybe other people have seen, uh, on the internet is just like this line of minivans, <laughs> like l lined up and, um, you know, parents sitting on their back tailgate and all the vans are super spread apart and everyone has like a coffee mug <laughs> and, um, you know, so I don't want to come on here and be like, okay, there are ways, um, you know, to, to talk to each other, but, um, you know, maybe those can be, be used with, with discretion. But at the same time, I think people are, um, you know, getting really creative about, about ways to connect with one another. I got invited to a, a virtual paint by number party the other day. <laughs> Where like this person is going to like send people paints and whatever in the mail and then we're all going to get on Zoom or whatever it is and like and paint together, you know. So I think some creativity is definitely coming out of the, the forced virtual interaction. For sure. Um, and let's go through. So you you posted these three steps that you said you felt are, are crucial to help people survive or even thrive during the, the pandemic marathon. And you talked a little yeah. bit about the first one as far as um, releasing the energy stored inside of you. 
Um, yeah. Can you just expand on that a little bit more as far as apart from journaling, what are some other ways that people might be able to do this? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, you alluded to the marathon and that's another analogy that I, I used in my post and especially at the beginning when things were changing so fast and it's not, they still are, but um, not at the same pace that it was at the beginning. Um, but this is really starting to feel like a marathon. You know, I feel like at the beginning it was feeling like a sprint and now it's feeling a little bit more like a marathon. So we can settle in and, you know, try to engage in some of these processes rather than just um, being stuck in that fight or flight fear response. <laughs> um, and, and so this is our opportunity to kind of settle in. And so, yeah, I already talked a little bit about the first thing, feel your feelings and name them. Um, you know, the, the, the second thing, and I, I added a little bit more, um, you know, is, is that, that idea of releasing your energy. Um, and, you know, that, that could be in the form of, of journaling that we talked about. Um, you know, I'm actually a big proponent of crying if you need to, you know, I think that these, these feelings, um, definitely come in waves I know personally but then also with the clients that I've worked with you know sometimes you're feeling fine and then other times you know at maybe um, a time that you wouldn't expect it the grief just hits you right and if you feel the need to cry do it <laughs> um, I think that's really important you know it can be through dancing it can be through movement exercise um, you know, obviously, this audience and this group is probably really good at, you know, the, the exercise form of release. Um, but, you know, I would like to also challenge this group to, yes, engage in exercise, but think about um, the journaling or the dancing or the yoga um, or the meditation, too, um, because I think this group is also really susceptible to overdoing it with the exercise component. I think in your, in your email, you mm -hmm. use the word escapism and that's absolutely true. Um, you know, and I, I think this time is presenting a unique time for people to, I don't know, do adventure skis that they, they haven't done. Like I think about, you know, my uh, teammate Becca Rorabaugh was, you know, she skied this traverse here in Anchorage called Arctic to Indian and she said, <clears throat> you know, never in my life am I going to be in Anchorage in this good a shape in March. <laughs> and so I'm going to do this. And she had a really good time. And I think that's, that's a great example of releasing some of that energy and kind of flipping it into a good situation. Um, but if we're just going out there and hammering out K after K or hour after hour of, of exercise um, and not really connecting with ourselves that's probably not the, the best way to go about it. So one of the things I really try to encourage people to do, um, and this was even before this pandemic, was go out for some mindful exercise. Go out without your watch, you know, go out and try to put yourself in your body, get out of your head, right? Like notice what's around you, like smell the fresh air if you, if you have access to it, right? Mm -hmm. um, let, let your body like feel the sensations, um, you know, I've just been talking about having gratitude for, for oxygen, right? I mean, maybe that, maybe that's like 
an obvious thing, but because this is a respiratory illness, I'm just so grateful that I can breathe, (laughs) you know? And so let's, let's display some gratitude for clear lungs. Um, So I I think that's really important. And I know Um, just for myself too, if I'm, you know, going out and hammering every day to kind of like avoid what I'm actually experiencing it, like it's, that's detrimental in the long run, right? Like you, you end up just even more worn out than kind of the toll of the, the grief or anxiety itself. It's like, just digs you a deeper hole. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you know, if you feel like you need to go out and hammer, do it, but then, you know, add like a a slow, mindful cool down to it. So, you know, I think there, there's room for both. And you talked about engaging in some form of a safety or soothing technique and working on inner dialogue. Can you kind of explain that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, you know, this is where I talked about the breathing a little bit, but this is where the diaphragmatic breathing comes in, you know, and or combining it with some meditation. And so I talked about how we should be thankful for, for the oxygen. But right now, you know, I've been using the term like oxygen as nutrition. And so diaphragmatic breathing is definitely, um, you know, different than the breathing that we, that we engage in all the time just to stay alive. And so, you know, it's deep inhalations through our nose, you know, the cues I use are, you know, pull it down to your belly button, feel your body rise and fall, feel your rib cage and lungs expand in your chest. And then if we're trying to use our breath to engage, you know, a parasympathetic response, we want to try to have the exhale be a little bit longer than, than the inhale. And so it's, it's really important to kind of um, try to engage in this relaxation response because I talked about how we're so caught up in that fight or flight or, or fear. Um, but then with the meditation, um, you know, and it doesn't have to be much. It can just be, you know, it can be a minute. Um, but there are lots of great meditation apps um, you know, online or, um, I've, I've really been using the metaphor of a hurricane, um, for some of, for some of my meditation either, uh, personally, but then also professionally too. And so, um, you know, that's this idea that in a hurricane, things are spinning chaotically out of control around us but in every hurricane there's what's called the eye of the storm which is this calm um, place where things aren't ruffled right and so I've been kind of um, trying to put myself in that eye of the storm and just noticing without judgment the things spinning around me but you know I can yes it's easy to sometimes get caught up in that hurricane but you know I can also put myself in that eye of the storm and Viktor Frankl um, has this this saying that there is a space between stimulus and response so the stimulus would be the pandemic and the response would be our response um, you know how, how we respond to the pandemic and so you know, I think the realization that um, I hope some people are having is that, you know, we actually have 
more control over our emotions than sometimes we'd like to think. <laughs> you know, we, we, we don't always have to become a victim of, of the situation. And so, you know, this, this, um, the diaphragmatic breathing, some of the meditation, um, you know, can be, can be a really good thing. You know, I guess the other thing I'll say is that the people, uh, some of the people that, that I've worked with, um, you know, are really having a hard time doing simple things like, um, hygiene, (laughs) um, you know, and uh, I mean, I'll put myself in that category too, right? Like, you know, it's like, oh, when's the last time I took a shower? Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, so, you know, in a session with someone yesterday, um, you know, we actually like went, we both went and got lotion and like, you know, put lotion on our hands. And then we went and like, got out a pair of like fancy shoes from our closets and like, (laughs) you know, put on like nice, nice shoes. And so, you know, self-soothing can come in so many different, different forms, right? Um, You know, whether it's like washing your face or meditating or breathing or cooking or, you know, all, all of the above. But, you know, I think it's really easy um, when we're under stress like this to, um, you know, have some of our natural, I don't know if I want to say natural tendencies, but people who are susceptible to depression, they become extremely susceptible to depression. You know, the same with anxiety, um, you know, or the same, you know, with people who have like a, maybe an eating disorder history. It's, this is a really easy time for them to start using behaviors. So... And your the last thing that you mentioned was practicing gratitude and visualizing the future. Yeah, can you talk a little bit more? About that? <clears throat> yeah, um, I think that this is this is huge. You know, right now um, we're all kind of engaging in these what ifs, right? And you know the um, the academic term, um, you know, is called catastrophizing, right? So we're all thinking about the worst case scenario. And that does serve a purpose, right? Because we need to be motivated to distance. We need to be motivated to, you know, do the things that are going to flatten the curve. So that that does serve a purpose. Um, however, if we let ourselves be totally overcome by fear, that's not helpful. So we need to provide some kind of balance. And, you know, that could be in the form of a gratitude exercise. And so, you know, maybe that's as simple as writing down um, the things that you're grateful for, you know, maybe it's your health and maybe it's your ability to get outside and the oxygen that you have and et cetera. Um, You know, or um, I think it's really important to like, like you said, visualize the future and so, you know, I, I call this like mindful time travel. <laughs> and so um, the frame you can put around it is, you know, kind of a storytelling frame. So if we were to fast forward six months from now or a year or even five years from now, what will our lives look like? What could they look like? But then also, how will we look back on this time and, and what story will we tell about it? And so, you know, hopefully a year from now, this will have died down, you know, maybe we'll have a vaccine. Um, And so, you know, I understand that some of the tangible things that maybe we were looking forward to don't feel as accessible, but we need to think about, 
you know, the concept or the feeling and the image of being physically close to our friends, right? And, and what that can look like. And that's really important to balance out the catastrophizing and the what ifs that we're all doing in our minds. And when you're, when you're visualizing, do you want to be focusing on kind of the, like the positive of what you hope will be the future will look like? Or is it okay to also be kind of acknowledging like, I mean, a lot of people are facing kind of financial concerns and small mm-hmm. businesses and things like that. Like, is it, um, do you want to be sort of avoiding those kinds of things or do you, is it okay to kind of engage, go down some of those paths? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, um, it's, it's not possible to, um, avoid those things. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm, a um, a practitioner of act, which is acceptance and commitment. <laughs> and, you know, and, and what, what that, what that says is like, we, we can't just stifle, um, feelings that we have, we need to acknowledge them. But I think that if people went through, um, you know, the feel your feelings and name them, doing some of the thought downloads, releasing your energy, engaging in the form of self-soothing, um, some of that stuff may, um, I don't want to use the word dissipate, but you know you can you can address some of those things in those, mm. um, you know, in those, and we're just naturally um, visualizing and and thinking about the the catastrophizing what ifs. We're we're already doing that, and so there's no point in trying to stop it because um, you know the example is if I tell you to think about anything but a pink elephant you're going to think about the pink elephant, right? So it's, it's like not possible to, to just avoid those thoughts, nor is it really healthy. So, you know, I think try not to get overcome by them, <laughs> but the point is you need to balance it out with some of the positivity. And so I think people are already visualizing and thinking about the worst case scenarios, but balance it out with, with some positivity. Um, you know, and, and if, um, that seems inaccessible to you, I would say right now is a wonderful, um, time to engage in therapy, right? Like if you're having a hard time doing this yourself, um, you know, hire professional help and, and someone to help guide you through this process. Yeah. Um, is there anything I, that we didn't get to that you think we should talk about? Oh gosh. Um, you know, a couple things. I we talked a little bit about self care, but I just want to share an analogy that that I that I use. Um, you know, and it's just in order to care for for others, we need to care for ourselves. And the analogy that I like to use is that of the oxygen mask. Um, you know, so when we're in an airplane, the safety briefing always says, "Put on your mask before you help other people." Um, and that isn't a selfish act. <laughs> it's actually a selfless act. And so everyone needs to be taking care of themselves so that we can help other people, um, you know, be it uh, friends, family, in whatever way we can. Um, but it's, it's, you know, we don't have to be martyrs. We, we need to take care of ourselves. So, so I'll say that. Um, and then you know, also, I just want to reiterate the, the term physical distancing versus social distancing. Um, this, is, this is a time to connect 
um, maybe more than any any other time um, that that we've had. And um, you know, I guess the other thing that that I would add that I think is specific to this this population of athletes and and specifically skiers. Uh, is that, you know, so many of us, so many of you had your seasons cut short. And, um, you know, I know people who didn't get to race in their first World Cup starts, or, you know, who didn't get to have their last World Cup, you know, and they, um, you know, or their last high school race, or their last junior Olympic race, and, you know, maybe they're transitioning or, um retiring or or something like that to to something else and uh, this is going to sound really really cheesy but you know I've really encouraged some of those people um, to kind of celebrate the seasons that they had you know I've even suggested going out um, you know for a ski or a run and you know creating like a finish line (laughs) Um, you know whether it's like taking a stick and like drawing a line in the mud or or the snow and, you know, let yourself reflect on your career or your season and ski or run or walk across it. <laughs> um, and it's not the same kind of closure that that last race of the season or a career would have been, but I think it's important. And, you know, as humans, we, we have this tendency to engage in what's called recency effect. And, you know, that is the last thing is is the the strongest thing in our in our minds right and so rather than reflecting on an entire career we're really focusing on you know the last race that we didn't know was the last race so it's really important to be able to pan out and think about the entirety of your of your career and some of the highlights right and and to kind of celebrate that um and and cross that literal or figurative finish line. So, I guess I would I would just add that. And one one, one other thing. Sure, no, <laughs> sorry, sorry. There, you know, there there there's so much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there there's also um, what's called uh, the loving kindness meditation, and it is um, you know it's really popular. It's really really famous, but. Um, you know, it's used to try to boost self-compassion. Um, and, you know, maybe I would just end this this interview on that. Um, and the, the process of the loving-kindness meditation is to sit and think about a time that you felt loved or supported or safe um, in, your, in your life. Think about that, even come up with an image and then the, the loving-kindness meditation actually has four lines. Um, and it is, may I be happy, may I be safe, may I be healthy, may I be, or may I live with ease. And so the cool thing is you can change the pronoun in that, in that meditation. So I'll just finish by saying, you know, to all the people out there, you know, may you be happy, may you be safe, may you be healthy, and may you live with ease. Thanks for listening.